It's Thursday, November 3rd, and this is Market Foolery. I'm Chris Hill, and joining me in studio today from Motley Fool Inside Value, Joe Mager, and from Motley Fool Stock Advisor, Jason Moser. Guys, happy Thursday. Hey, Thank Chris. you, Chris. We have got news from Whole Foods, Chevrolet, Ford, and Groupon, but we will start with the big macro. The leaders of France and Germany have told Prime Minister Papandreou that Greece will not get another penny in bailout money until it commits to the plan that was agreed to last week. And there are reports now that Papandreou has offered to resign. Um, Obviously, this is a story very much in flux. uh, But Jason, based on what you've heard so far... What are your thoughts? Yeah, it is in flux. And I guess my problem with the whole thing was, you know, I mean, like we were talking about the other day, we had a deal. I mean, it was all kind of set in stone. It reminds me that George Costanza, we had a deal. (laughs) So, I mean, I I think, you know, we're talking about going with which uncertainty here. And personally, I'm of of thought that really, if if he's going to go ahead and and resign, that's fine. I mean, we we need to get someone in there who's going to really look out for the the best turnout for Greece here. And if they're going to try to postpone a vote until December, that's not really the best uh, situation for them because it does nothing but create more uncertainty. So if we can get someone in there to kind of go along with the deal, get the ball rolling here, I think that's better for the country, for the union, and for investors. Joe, what, which uncertainty do you prefer? <laughs> I would stick with the devil we know, and I'd like him to stay. I think he's made an unbelievable number of stupid decisions. I think the decision of a referendum, you know what? They had a referendum. That was the election right. that put them into place. No, I'm serious. And that, like, just like Merkel's facing in Germany, sometimes politicians get elected to make the tough decisions that the people don't want to make. And ultimately, you know, it's probably going to cost them their jobs uh, when elections do come around. But that's their role is to make those decisions. And, you know, I can't believe he wussed out and, you know, called for that referendum. And now he might back off it, which is another wussy move. And I think he should back off it. Wussy. I mean, the Europeans are completely right to be upset and furious with them. And if the Greeks do vote on this, uh, you know, the populace with a referendum, odds are they're going to shoot it down, Yeah, which would be a complete, total freaking mess. We'll see how things play out when we're back in here on Monday. Shares of Whole Foods down slightly this morning on the latest earnings. Uh, Joe, 31% increase in profit. Same store sales up nearly 9%. uh, But the company lowered guidance. Um, That seems to be why the shares are are down a little bit this morning. What did you you make of the quarter? Yeah, well, it was a great quarter. But this is a reminder that stocks don't move because of performance necessarily. They move against expectations. So when you don't perform against what's priced into your stock – you're going to get hit. And Whole Foods is selling for about 35 times earnings, which for a retailer is really high. Yeah. Now, I do think the quarter was killer and everything about it was strong. Comps were strong. They raised the dividend 40%. I think it's incredibly well run. It's, it's in a great space. I mean, I don't have anything negative to say about how the business is run and the performance. But, you know, sometimes this happens when you've got that rich valuation. But, you know, if you're a long-term shareholder, I think you have to be you know, very happy with this quarter, and it's just one of many that I think they'll keep posting. Jason, it's uh, Whole Foods is a recommended stock um, in Stock Advisor. What do you think? It is, yeah. It's it's had a pretty active history in on our scorecard, and, and it's currently a core stock on David's side of the card uh, for a couple of recs, and it's uh, performed well for us. I mean, Joe really keyed on a lot of important points there. They had a great quarter. I think that probably the one thing that the market was was uh, most disappointed in was you mentioned comps. Uh, the same store sales numbers were good, but they weren't as good as as were hoped, I guess. And so yeah. they came in with uh, it's eight point four percent improvement in same store sales, and expectations were more for around nine percent. And uh, we know in restaurants and retail, those same store sales metrics are always really the, the closely watched uh, metrics. And so for short term uh, movements, you're going to see the stock tank when they miss those expectations. But for you know investors like us who are going to 
probably hold those stocks for a little bit of a longer term. These are great chances actually to buy in on companies uh, when they're when they're selling off like this. You know, one thing I noticed too, just just to mention this. Uh, Back in 2009, I had done some comparison on Whole Foods and the fresh market and Trader Joe's and stuff like that. Yep. And Whole Foods, back in 2009, uh, their sales per square foot were in the $400 range. Their sales per square foot now has basically doubled in the course of about two years, which wow. to me is impressive. I mean, they're, they're really selling a lot. Uh, and, and certainly, you know, they're keeping their margins uh, on, on the high side as well, which is going to just make them a profitable operation all the way around. So. Yeah. Well, Ron Gross and I were walking through the checkout yesterday, and they've got these fruit cups there with you know <laughs> assorted berries, and it's priced at nine ninety nine a pound. <laughs> I was like, Ron, this has to be the most profitable thing in the store. Well, man, did you see the mountain of cupcakes in there the other day, like Friday? No, they were selling their boutique cupcakes for like a buck, and they had it had to there had to be ten thousand cupcakes in that store. I got a few that took them home; they were good. You mentioned Trader Joe's. I mean, when you when you look at the competitive landscape for Whole Foods, you you do have those sort of um, straight up grocery store chains: uh, Trader Joe's, Safeway, Kroger. But you've also got sort of the the bigger stores that are moving into that space. Uh, when it comes to organics, companies like Target, Walmart, Costco, um, w- which of these are really the greatest threats? Which of these are the companies that keep John Mackey up at night? I would say Trader Joe's for the reason that it's more focused on its actual target audience, Whole Foods. You know, you look at Walmart and Target, um, Walmart especially is just eating the lunch of all these pure play. No pun intended. Terrible pun intended. <laughs> very intended. Um, it's just eating the lunch of you know the Krogers and Safeways of the world, and I think it will continue to because they have much better cost structures and you know they get a ton of foot traffic. And ultimately, if you're not a niche player in the space of groceries, you're going to get hammered eventually. But I don't think that. Just because I can buy organic avocados at Walmart, I don't think the same customer who goes in there, I, I think it's a very different customer base. And there's a geographic difference, too, where sure. you know your Walmarts are outside cities, typically in suburbia, and a lot of Whole Foods are concentrated more in urban areas. Jason, what do you think? Yeah, as much as I'd love to accuse Joe of picking Trader Joe's because his name is Joe, I actually have to agree with him. Uh, I think I've said this just time and time again. I mean, Trader Joe's, to me, is that's the one I think if they could pick anyone off, they would. Uh, one of the things you have to look at, so Whole Foods is looking at uh, a target of about a 1,000 stores uh, in the United States. They're about a third of the way there. Mm-hmm. Trader Joe's has about that same amount of stores open as well. Uh, they certainly prevent, uh, they present a better value proposition, I think, in most cases, and a lot of, of similar items. Uh, whereas Safeway, uh, Kroger, stores like that, you know, what I think we're seeing now is that some folks are, are seeing that they can incorporate – uh, something like Safeway and Whole Foods into their shopping routines where they can go to Whole Foods and get those organic fruits and vegetables without paying through the nose and then get the rest of their groceries from Safeway or Kroger so they can they can kind of have the best of both worlds there. You go to Trader Joe's and you can pretty much get it all there anyway, and, and the bill is always going to be very reasonable. Well, we did a walkthrough at a Whole Foods recently with a bunch of fools, and the, the store manager was there, and he told us that at Whole Foods now, all of their core prices, so for on um, core products, so like milk, for example, mm-hmm. it's the same price as the local Trader Joe's. And they're doing that because there is a big perception of of Trader Joe's being a better, val- a better value. So they're being pretty aggressive about matching that. Well, and Now, they, they want to get you in and <laughs> you'll pay fair price for the milk and three, you know, and $9.99 $10 a pound for berries. For berries. <laughs> and the $1 cupcakes. Yeah. All right. Uh, let's talk cars. Um, 
A couple of stories here. Chevrolet is celebrating its 100th birthday today, so happy birthday Ooh, to all yay. the folks at Chevrolet. Um, this is part of the, the General Motors family. How, how important is the Chevy brand for General Motors, Joe? Well, it's a big one. I mean, it's one of only four remaining. You know, they axed Saturn and some of the non-core brands. At this point, it's Chevy, Caddy, GMC, and Buick. And that's what they've retrenched around. And I think that was a smart strategy for a lot of reasons. I mean, it's a big brand, and it's, you know, a happy birthday that, you know, the their 90s were kind of bumpy, like for <laughs> yeah. most people. Yeah. <laughs> but here's hoping the next decade is better. Um, when you look at the commercials that they're running on TV now, Chevrolet really seems to be um, playing the nostalgia card, um, which makes for a good commercial. But I'm just wondering, like, is that is that the smartest strategy? Um, because the, to an extent, anytime you're playing on nostalgia, you're looking to the past. Um, and it seems like a lot of automakers are trying to position themselves as the car of the future, that kind of thing. What do you think? Well, it kind of depends on the brand. So they're trying to position Caddy as pretty forward-looking. Mm-hmm. And with Chevy, they're basically trying to get in touch with the roots of what is still – there's still a constituent <laughs> core customer base out there who has a lot of fond memories of Chevy. Mm-hmm. It's an iconic American brand that, unfortunately, you know, GM – Basically, it was a terrible organization for a couple decades and produced some crappy cars that drove down resale values and everyone was unhappy with them and they lost market share as a result. So there is some irony in that they're recalling the glory days when the glory <laughs> the days, bad old are, days yeah, you know, a little, little further back in the rear view. But overall, I think it's a decent campaign. Jason? Yeah, it's a good campaign. I think Chevy is by far and away the most recognizable brand for GM. I mean, I remember when I was at the auto show in January in Detroit, and GM actually had all of their – they had different stations for each brand as mm-hmm. opposed to everything just being under one GM tent. And I, I still – you had mentioned the other brands for, for GM, and I, I still couldn't even remember them. The one that always comes to mind is Chevy. So I I think they do need to be careful looking back too far because while they, they have played you know a tremendous role in, in American history – uh, it is, you know, it is about going forward and, and what, you know, what are you going to do for me tomorrow? And so they need to be playing on technologies like the Volt. Uh, you know, we see the Focus Electric out there, uh, you know, Tesla introducing that Model S, all coming in at, at comparable pricing points there to introduce those electric vehicles to the road. Um, so I think that you have to be careful looking back too far because it, the thing that came to mind here for me was Studebaker. You know, yeah. I mean, like Studebaker <laughs> is no longer, but that's kind of what made me think of. Oh, it was back in the days of Chevys and Studebakers, and eh, I don't want to think that way. Uh, Jason, you mentioned the uh, the Focus Electric. This is uh, Ford's first plug-in passenger car. Uh, they're pricing it around forty thousand um, dollars. It is purely electric. You're someone who watches Ford closely. It's a recommended stock. How how important is this initiative for Ford? It's I mean it's tremendous. They I actually saw that vehicle uh, in January at the auto show. That was their big highlight. They they showed it off and really touted it. Uh, it's it's sleek. It's small. It's got a pretty cool interior. Um, reminded me a little bit of the you know that Honda Civic hatchback body style. So it's it's pretty current. Um, I think electric cars are where it's at. We need to get more of these on the road. You know, we talked earlier about Germany's goals to get, I think, a million on the road by yep. some 2020. You know, 2020. Uh, that's the direction we're going. So, you know, when you have these big companies like Ford and GM that can really devote the resources and the time to developing these, uh, I think that gives them a big advantage and ones they need. And it's one that they need to play on. But when you look at 
what is needed for a lot of electric cars to get on the road. One of the things that's needed that we don't have right now is really the infrastructure, the the type of charging stations that you would need. Um, one of the uh, phrases that uh, came up before we started taping was range anxiety, which is you know just <laughs> they the, have a pill for that now. The, which is just this notion that you're going to get in your electric car, you're going to drive somewhere, and you're going to be far from home when uh, you're going to be out of range when you run out of electricity. Um, I mean, you know, we can joke about the pill you can no, take for that. It's a valid but concern. But that's a totally valid concern. It's a valid concern. Yeah. I mean, if you experience, I think, range anxiety for more than four hours, call your doctor. <laughs> I mean, whatever. I, I, it's a valid concern. I would be very concerned about it. I mean, yep. as, a, as a golfer, so for example, you got there and ride 18 holes in a golf cart. Well, if you get stuck out on the, the middle of the eighth hole in your electric golf cart and Man, that that stinks. I mean, people hate that. So if you get stuck halfway around the Beltway and you, you know, got no out there, it's it's going to be a mess. And so you look at at ventures like we have the uh, the EV initiative here in the United States, where the Department of Energy is is helping to uh, plan and build that infrastructure. Uh, Best Buy is is participating in putting these charging stations in public locations. So it, essentially, like you drive down the street and you see gas stations while they're trying to get these charging stations in places like, you know, big mall parking lots and places where people can pull over and charge their car while they, you know, go shopping or, or read a book or whatever at, at Starbucks. But that is going to take a lot of money and a lot of time and a lot of planning. And, and it's, you know, we're obviously in a position here where there's not a lot of uh, resources to dip into right now. Yeah. And the battery technology just isn't there. So we need better infrastructure and better batteries. So the Nissan Leaf, for example, is all electric and it can only cover about 106 miles on one charge. <laughs> now it gets the, so it gets the, the energy so, equivalent. So the summer vacation, you know, trip well, up the coast. Thing. So people buy it because it has great mileage. So in energy equivalent terms, it gets 99 miles a gallon. Oh, that's awesome. <laughs> but that's the entire trip. So, yeah. you know, you're buying it because it gets so much economy, but you ultimately can't drive it, you know, on a cross-state trip. Um, in terms of the automakers themselves, who do you think is most likely to have sort of the first breakthrough hit when it comes to electric cars, you know, Ford, GM, is it a Tesla? Uh, I, you know, that seems unlikely, but I don't know how unlikely that is, actually. I mean, we see all the stuff about Ford and GM, um, but, you know, Tesla is do they're making a lot of headway with that Model S vehicle. Uh, they're testing it out and putting, you know, upwards close to 300 miles on some, some runs. So, I mean, they, they are really strong in developing that technology. I would not be shocked to see Tesla play part in this because Tesla also helps uh, other companies like Daimler, for example, with their uh, powertrains and battery technology. So it's not just this, you know, Tesla Roadster and Tesla Model S that they're, you know, selling. I mean, they're they're, help, they're helping these other uh, automotive companies. Toyota is another one that comes to mind with their battery uh, technology as well. So I would I would definitely not sell Tesla short here. Joe, what do you think? Honestly, I think a decade out from now, all these car companies are going to have viable electric cars of all stripes that work well and consumers like. And there'll be bumps along the way, and some of them will struggle, but they'll ultimately catch up. I mean, if you're a purist, I think Tesla does present the most interesting opportunity, but it's also wildly expensive for that reason. (laughs) And extremely speculative. Yes. (laughs) Uh, Before we wrap up with Groupon, a couple of housekeeping notes. Uh, The Podcast Awards will be announced this Saturday, November 5th at 4.30 p.m. Uh, we will share the results on Monday's podcast. But if you want to follow us on Twitter, uh, which is just Market Foolery on Twitter, uh, we will be sharing the results 
there. Hopefully, we've, we'll have some good news to share. But the voting we'll is closed officially. The voting though, right? is closed, and, and we got a lot of nice emails from people who voted for us. So once again, yep. thank you to all thank our you. listeners yep, who absolutely. voted. Absolutely. Thanks a lot. Uh, awesome. Other housekeeping note, um, uh, you can go to FoolTV.com if you want to see videos of the podcast. We've started doing this about a week ago. Um, so if, if uh, we've gotten emails from time to time, want to see what's going on inside the studio, and now you can. Just go to FoolTV.com. All of our videos for Market Foolery and Motley Fool Money Radio are right there. That's fooltv.com. All right, guys. Groupon is finally going public tomorrow morning. The IPO we've all been waiting for, certainly I've been waiting for. Um, what do you think? Buy, sell, or hold Groupon's IPO? Given the IPO performers of the year so far and the fact that Living Social pretty much does the same thing, um, sell them. Really? I don't want any part of it. You're, you're, you're saying that the track record of the companies like Pandora and LinkedIn are, are not giving you confidence? You know, that- Groupon, they were introducing <laughs> like new accounting terms a few months back. So I, I just – it's too creative for me. I'm you know, they, this one slide. They, they changed that. They've, they're <laughs> on the straight and narrow now in terms of their accounting. I'm selling. Joe, what do you think? I think that investment banks rig IPOs so that the first day is a big pop and it looks great. And I'm sure that will happen here. But after that initial <laughs> – you know, bioengineered pop. I couldn't sell the stock hard enough. <laughs> uh, there is no rating for how I feel about it. It they have zero competitive advantages. Their core business is under attack by virtually everyone. Uh, Google's going after them now really hard. And what in a business unit for Google is pretty much inconsequential, but you know, is a complete huge threat for Groupon because what they're doing is they're partnering with all these other deal sites that are now using Google and its huge platform because they have so many relationships with users to sell these deals. Then you got Living Social that's so competitive. And look at OpenTable. They actually just pulled out of daily deals. <laughs> right. And OpenTable, actually, that was viable for them because they have a ton of member relationships. They've got all these merchant relationships. I totally thought that was going to work for them. And when that didn't work, it was like, oh, my God. So you're saying the daily deal space is not necessarily the greatest space to be in? No. You're if there was a daily deal index ETF, which – I don't know, there probably will be any day now. <laughs> I would definitely have puts on it. Well, Google, I mean, that was Google offered to buy Groupon a while back, right? Yeah, I remember it was, it was, Hell hath yes. no fury like a Google scorn, so could come back to bite them. Jason Moser, Joe Mager. Guys, thanks for being here. Thank thanks, you. Chris. As always, people on the program may have interest in the stocks they talk about, and The Motley Fool may have formal recommendations for or against, so don't buy or sell stocks based solely on what you hear. Be sure to check out The Motley Fool Money radio show this weekend. That's Motley Fool Money on iTunes, online, and on radio stations across America. That's it for this edition of Market Foolery. Our producer is Matt Greer. I'm Chris Hill. Thanks for listening. We'll see you on Monday. We'll see you on Monday.